Greetings, and welcome to the latest edition of the AMSSM Sports MedCast, produced in collaboration with the BJSN. I'm your host, Dr. Jake Westels, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Nicole Keith. She's a professor in the Department of Kinesiology at the IUPUI School of Health and Human Sciences, an investigator at the Regan Streif Institute at the Center for Aging Research, and a past president of the ACSM. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Keith. Thanks for having me, Jake. Today, our topic, we're going to be speaking on exercise in postmenopausal women. And so, so to start us off, Dr. Keith, can you tell us what, you know, s- some of your background and, and what got you interested in this topic? Sure. So I have been a physical activity researcher for my entire career. My focus has been on uh, women, um, mostly, who are aging So really that range of 35 to 69 years old. And I was asked by the uh, organizers of the AMSSM annual meeting to talk about this topic. So while I am really well-versed on physical activity and aging, I had to learn a little bit about um, menopause and the stages of menopause to prepare for this talk. So what got me interested is that I was asked to talk about it, but then as I started reading about it and understanding the challenges that are faced by women who are entering these menopausal stages, it became really interesting and something that I could think about in terms of not just physical activity behavior, but lifestyle behavior just in general. That's always an interesting way to get into a field that you already have some knowledge on and someone asks you more about it and you start diving into it, it it kind of probably meshed up nicely with some of the things that you already do. You know, as you were diving into that, can you remind us what the the stages, you know, the menopausal time and perimenopausal period is for women? Yeah, so there's premenopause, menopause, and postmenopause, which was what I was asked to talk about, the postmenopause. But I kind of wanted to understand, like, what is happening in terms of um, physical activity, nutrition behavior, but also lifestyle during these phases. When do they happen? Um, Are they different for different women? Um, Is there any control that women have um, during these phases? And so that's part of what I was learning as I was going through my readings. Premenopause can start as early as 35 years old which was really surprising to me. That seems very young, um, but that's when the recommendations start looking for these changes and um, hormonal, hormonal patterns that I can't really discuss. That's beyond what I understand, but where these changes can start occurring and that are accompanied by challenges in thermal regulation. So women are sweating more, um, they're experiencing hot flashes, Um, not just during exercise, but just even when they're sedentary, um, women are having difficulty sleeping, women are gaining weight, and that continues until through menopause and post-menopause is when it kind of stops. And so how women respond to these changes can affect their behavior. But also it's really important to understand that that is a time where it's really important to participate in these other behaviors that protect cardiovascular health and protect 
blood pressure and are protective for body mass index and for weight because this is also the time um, when women are reducing their um, estrogen and that is the protective effect. So really important to encourage women to exercise and have a healthy diet and get en enough sleep during that time, which is yeah. a challenge because they're hot and you know, they're uncomfortable sweating and there's sleep disturbance that comes with this reduction in estrogen. So just asking them to do it is, is a challenge. Right. I think that's, that's one of the struggles, you know, I find as a clinician is, is trying to figure out just where any of my patients are with their exercise, you know, to try to figure out how to get them to the next step and then trying to figure out if someone's not sleeping well, if they're having those changes, how do you, think that, you know, as providers or as people that are working with patients who are in this perimenopausal time, how can we think about writing effective exercise prescriptions or how do we start to dive into that uh, for someone who's entering this time? So I think it's also really important to talk to the patient. It's going to be different from person to person and it's going to have to be individualized to think about what else they might be going through. Um, so this is a time where they might be empty nesters for the first time. And so their whole life is changing for that reason, or maybe they're entering another phase in their job or retiring um, and um, their social life might be changing. So besides the physiological outcomes that happen with perimenopause, it's also a time in women's lives where other factors within their life could be changing. And so in terms of what you're going to ask them to do for physical activity and exercise, um, it's really important to first understand like what do they have time for? What is their interest? What is it that they used to do or what they would like to do moving forward? And instead of just like the basic 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity, what else can they do within the context of their daily lives? Um, that could include physical activity. That makes sense. I think that probably is something that is hard to keep in mind always, first assessing your patient, you know, instead of writing an exercise prescription for a certain number of minutes or things, is seeing where where they are. Are there types of activities that you find um, or that you that you in your research have learned are are better suited for uh, an you know an aging population or or someone entering? Well, menopause, most, most people can walk. So at least in the United States, 95% of US residents can walk. Mm -hmm. And so walking is an accessible activity that most people can do uh, periodically throughout the day. Um, and so that's my go-to is take a walk, walk your dog, walk with your spouse or your partner, um, take your kids or your grandkids for a walk because it's also something that multi-generations can do together. You know, most places are set up where there are walkable communities that are pretty accessible. Resistance training is also really important and so maintaining muscle mass for protection of um, other activities of daily living is really important. And so, you know, I don't typically advise people 
to resistance train for physical appearance like they can but that's mm -hmm. not usually what motivates people what motivates people to practice resistance training is maintenance of independence and so that's what I talk about like you can stay in your home if you have stairs in your home that's going to help you your ability to go up and down the stairs to do laundry to clean to sweep if you like gardening which is, these are all physical activities in and of themselves but re maintaining your muscle mass is really important in order to participate in these other activities. And so I encourage that. And then lastly, while it, it's not necessarily um, health protective, I do recommend flexibility exercises just in terms of avoiding injury. That makes a lot of sense. So I have, you know, some patients will, they'll say they're doing walking, but, you know, they're not quite in a pattern with it. So I think trying to figure out like a class or a type of modality, you know, to base their resistance, you know, training or activity on, have you found anything that that's been a useful, you know, physical therapy or, or yoga or, or, or some, you know, modality that works well for, for patients? So physical therapy is okay at first, but it's not necessarily sustainable. You only get so many sessions and then you're done. Right. Physical therapists are really good at teaching people how to exercise and giving them activities that they can do on their own at home. But people have to understand that eventually they're going to have to either hire a personal trainer or do it themselves. Um, mm -hmm. that, the, that the physical therapist isn't going to be able to hold their hand forever with the exercises. You know, people like to use resistance bands. They're pretty portable. They get the job done. They're relatively inexpensive, and uh, there are lots of different kinds of exercises, whole body exercises that you can do with resistance bands. Um, some people like to buy weights um, and use dumbbells in, in their home instead and do body resistance training with the dumbbells. You know, there are lots of great videos that are either available on smartphone apps or uh, through cable, television, where there are led exercises that people can follow along that are, again, either free or very inexpensive. But that requires a lot of motivation. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be some level of motivation. And whether it's you find a friend or a partner for your workout, um, that seems to work really well so that you're encouraging one another to participate in the exercise. In terms of walking, Jake, you mentioned that you have trouble getting people into rhythms. Destination walking is great. And that is, we tend to go for walks to nowhere, but mm -hmm. if you go to a, for a walk to somewhere, it's more motivating. And so if you live in a community that's connected by sidewalks and have traffic calming measures where it's safe for pedestrians to walk, that's always really helpful. If your walk involves going to a friend's house or a relative's house, uh, that's a destination where people might be more motivated to actually walk. If you're still working and you can park further away from um, your work destination and walk there, uh, that's always great. If you're using public transportation in and of itself, public transportation tends to increase walking uh, because you have to walk from wherever you are to the 
bus or train stop and then um, from wherever you're let off to your destination. So using public transportation is also another way to increase walking without it just being I'm walking to walk for no reason. Mm -hmm. I like that idea. Thinking about our patients that are in the postmenopausal, you know, period of their life, are there any specific types of activities or amount of activity that's been shown to be helpful, you know, either while they're in, not quite to postmenopausal, while they're having still hot flashes or or those changes, or in postmenopause when when they're trying to maintain their bone, you know, density. Are there are there specific activities or things that we should be thinking about? Well, mostly what we've talked about already, and that's like weight-bearing weight activities. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, everything that I've mentioned so far has been kind of under the assumption that there aren't other comorbidities happening within the patient. And so it's really important if they have risk factors for cardiovascular disease, or if they have diabetes, or if they have osteoporosis, to really be careful about the types of exercises, the amount and the intensity of exercise. And in those cases, sometimes it's better to have lower impact exercises like using a cycle ergometer, or if they have good balance, still using a bicycle, or if they have access to a pool, participating in water aerobics. While that's not gonna help much with weight management, um, it will help with cardiovascular fitness, which is also really important. But really just thinking about, are there other conditions um, that might put them at risk of exacerbating those conditions if they participate in certain kinds of exercise? And if there's really a concern, then my recommendation is always to refer to a personal trainer who understands these conditions and can help the person create an exercise program that's safe and effective. So you mentioned, you know, making sure to assess the patient's physical comorbidities and things. What about some of the other risk factors or socioeconomic um, barriers for people to exercise? Can you talk more about those kind of things? Sure. And, and so I think it's really important to understand that, you know, in terms of health equity, everybody is not start, starting from the same place um, and everybody hasn't had access to the same things. And so if you think about when you were a kid, did you play sports? Uh, did you learn how to be physically active as a child? Did you continue to be physically active throughout your lifetime? And when we get to women, there's already disparity. When you compare men's access to physical activity compared to women's, um, there's been a disparity for decades, and we know that. And we also know as people age, their physical activity declines. So when women arrive at postmenopause, it could be that they haven't been physically active since they were kids. So that's the first thing, just to find out what are your physical activity experiences? Are you comfortable being physically active? And one of my favorite stories, um, I ran a physical activity intervention in a church. And the women in the church would not exercise in front of the men. Mm. Um, they didn't think it was appropriate. And they didn't want to put their bodies in positions that you need to put your body in to be physically active. So really <laughs> understanding who the women are, um, what's their level of comfort, what's their experience with physical activity is important. And understanding 
that a woman's experience with physical activity and sport might be very different than that of a man. So that's the first thing. <laughs> then the second thing is about safety. And so um, women who are going to be physically active outside, for example, um, there's, safety, there's safety concerns with becoming injured and you're out exercising and you're by yourself and you become injured, puts you in a really vulnerable position anyway. And then there's you know issues with crime and so that's a challenge as well. And then the third thing I think about um, when I think about physical activity participation with women and especially um, with postmenopausal women is that, as I mentioned before, schedules are really different. And so even assuming that they can exercise outside during the daytime is quite a big assumption. So finding out like what their schedule is and what kind of community they live in to determine how they can be active and be active safely. That's really a, a good point to think about for, for all of our women patients that we take care of. Are there any other um, barriers or anything else that you think that we should be thinking about for our women patients? I also think about many women, this isn't, you know, there's no sweeping generalizations here. Women are very diverse, um, but many women are caregivers. They're caregivers for their children or their grandchildren, or they're caregivers for their aging parents. And really thinking about how women tend to care for others first and not care for themselves. So really creating that message that it's hard for you to care for others if you're not healthy personally and identifying ways that while they can fulfill those caregiving responsibilities, they can do it in an active way so they can multitask and thinking about like, if you wanna take your grandchild to the playground, playing with them and not just watching them play. Um, or if you are caregiving for an aging parent, um, making sure that you're, helping them go for walks or pushing them in their wheelchair or whatever it might be, but trying to get ways or even doing chores, ways that you can do caregiving responsibilities um, while making sure you get in your 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous activity. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Keith. This was really enlightening talk today. And we appreciate having you as a guest on um, uh, on our podcast today. Well, thank you for having me. It's a subject I'm really passionate about and enjoy talking with you about it. And thank you to our listeners for listening and please join us again for our next edition of the AMSSM Sports Medcast.